Whenever you do something because like when it's coming out of insecurity and you're like, and I was just saying this earlier, I've got to write like more upbeat stuff or like, or this thing's hip, I should do that or whatever. You're always behind and it's not authentic. Your soul's not in it, you know? Yeah. The real risk is trusting what is coming through. Um, when you're actually saying something and doing something that feels deeply personal, that's where the biggest risk is for sure to me, you know? my friend Sam Burton as soon as possible. He is an artist. He's originally from Utah and he now lives in my neighborhood in LA, which is how we met. And I thought about splitting this into two, but I would have been bummed if I was listening and I had to wait another week. So here it is all in one piece. Listen to it at your leisure over a couple drives or walks or where, where do you listen? Here's my conversation with Sam. He's an incredible musician. I was blown away when I finally saw him live for the first time. I hope you go see him or catch him if you're in LA or when he's on tour. And he has a new album coming out, which we talk about a little bit at the end. And we get into a lot. (laughs) He came over to my apartment a couple weeks ago and we drank tea and talked for a couple hours. And honestly could have kept going. (laughs) He's deeply introspective and he's studied Jungian psychology and he also reads tarot for himself and others and we get into that and how he got into all of that and how it impacts his songwriting and and I do the thing I've been doing the last several episodes where I pulled a slew of our mutual friends who submitted questions so you'll hear us answer those as well as a bunch of mine. We cover everything from criticism and processing external validation and how he spends his days. (laughs) I am so happy you're here. Thank you so much for listening. If you're new here, hi, I'm Katie. This is my conversation with my friend Sam. You know, it's crazy. Uh, When I do read cards to people, people get the same cards all the time. And then they'll get cards that like I'll never get or other people never get, but they'll get them like in a row. Yeah. Over and over. And that, that's always been something that's really like been kind of interesting to me. Huh. Wow. That's Yeah, that's wild. Yeah. Well, and then somewhat recently, you le- left a tarot card or you dropped one oh, yeah. at coffee. Yeah. And then our friend Tim texted me and then I texted you uh-huh. and then it was sitting up there for a while. Yeah. What was it? The King of Swords or something? I think so. And then when I texted you, I was like, that's got to mean something. Yeah. I was wondering, I was like, is that for... Uh, Tim or was that for Katie or or was that for me or was it all of us you know maybe we all needed to see it you know yeah or maybe that maybe for our coffee shop yeah (laughs) I mean gosh I have so I don't even know where to begin tarot or I there's so many threads I want to pull with you but I I guess I kind of want to start with what's been on your mind lately like what have you been learning or contemplating I know you've been really busy yeah Lately, I feel like I've been trying to uh, reconnect and kind of just ground back to center um, 
And for me, a lot of my like path is aligned with my songwriting and my music. And so for me, it feels kind of spiritual. And when it's, it's been interesting to, to get more into the music business because I've never been a part of it before. Mm. And there's just lots of um, distractions, you know, in it. it. It's always been something kind of of no consequence to me. Like, and, and it still is the same um, in general, I think. But, but in my writing, it didn't matter if I thought it was good or bad or whatever. You know, I just was kind of doing it as an explorative practice of my like soul, you know. Yeah. And so, you know, when ambitions are starting to become wrapped up in it and 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 different things different distractions and stuff it i find it's like a hall of mirrors a little bit and i'm i'm just trying to focus and reorient myself and just remember the reason that i'm doing it you know because i do feel like i've kind of strayed a little bit from the path uh, i've just gotten a little it, like psychically i feel a bit lost or something do you mean like all the different hats you have to wear is like you're suddenly not just writing songs and playing songs. You're having to like, you know, do interviews or think about the logistical business of things. Is that what you mean? It's not that there are that many like external impositions on me because there, there, uh, there are not a lot of things that are like making demands on me or anything like that, but it's just this kind of perfectionist attitude mm. that comes with inviting the public into your private like sphere and I think music is meant to be shared. And so it's only somewhat private, but it's just opened things up to interactions that I'm just not used to having. And so I, I kind of like, I, I have to really stop myself from like walling up or wanting to quit or like, you know, yeah. you know what I mean? And I'm not like, a, this isn't like self-pity or anything. It's just kind of learning that, learning how to balance it so that I can be have a healthy creative life and not rely upon any anything other than um, what matters, you know, yeah. the heart and friends and family, things like that, nature. Well, I mean, you being aware of it, it sounds like that's like half the, I'm sure it's uncomfortable, like awareness makes you, if when you're aware, then you are in the discomfort of now. It's like, well, before you knew, then you were just living. But now that you're aware of it, like what things have you been doing to try to get yourself? <laughs> <laughs> um, there's things I should be doing. I, I haven't been doing a lot, but I, I have like a daily practice where I just try to walk or, or write and, um, and do it in a way that's, you know, try to drop down a little bit lower. And as for the awareness, that's kind of the interesting thing is like you, I'll go a long period of time without being aware of something like that, you know, and then all of a sudden you're like, oh my God. And then you remember there's some verse in the Bible that talks about how like, it's a process of remembering. I'm not Christian or anything, but I think that's a really beautiful thing mm -hmm. because in life I find that to be true. And I feel like in music, that's why a lot of the time I'm writing about returning to something because you have to go out and explore, but then you have to get lost, you know? But then I love this idea of like, you just realize, you know, at a certain point sometimes like, oh, you're like, oh, the tree's bare or something, mm -hmm. you know? And you have to go back and water it <laughs> you know what i mean yeah or like that's the hero's journey it's like you have to go away or there's something else from i think the bible maybe of like you can't be a prophet in your hometown or like you have to <laughs> kind of go away and come back yeah, or totally yeah i mean i think 
it's so frustrating for me to have to learn lessons again and again and have like things aren't cyclical and mm -hmm. to have to making mistakes uncomfortable, but making the same mistake twice is like excruciating. You know? yeah, yeah. And, and I think that the older I get, the more I'm like, Oh, this is nonlinear, unfortunately. Yeah. And, and, it, and it's hard when you get busy to be out, like when you're moving so fast, it's hard to be able to do the things that you, I find it's, it's hard for me to be able to, like, I know the kind of four things I need to do just to feel like baseline. Okay. Yeah. But then when you can't get those in, you have to just, I, I don't know. I, I've been talking about this with a friend recently, like I can feel so overwhelmed and uncomfortable and bad, but if I just figure out, this sounds so simple, but if I get myself back to just a place of being calm, I can handle all of it. Mm -hmm. Like I'll figure it out. It'll be fine. Yeah, yeah. But if I can't get myself into the place of feeling calm, then it's just this like storm of stress mm -hmm. within all those things that like, I know I could eventually handle. Yeah, totally. This psychologist I like to follow, she was talking about how one of her clients had a dream of like these, these birds that were flying around. They were kind of like distracting her. Um, and every time a bird would land in the dream, she would tie a ribbon to one of their feet and then the bird would fly away again. And so she was like, oh, these are your thoughts and you need to write them down. That's like tying the ribbon on it, you know? And then she found that she was, she would stop being afraid of her thoughts and terrorized by them every time she would write them down and use her thinking function to kind of like follow it down. And it also reminds me of this thing that when Bill, Bill Fay gave this interview about like writing songs and he's such a peaceful looking man. He's kind of an old, older guy. And he was talking about how he just gets so much joy out of writing one and like quietly putting it away and having it. And it's just like when you break something down to something that is small and simple and look at it for, look at it simply, it becomes like peaceful and it becomes beautiful, you know, yeah. but it's hard to do. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I mean, it just requires a lot of slowing down, you know? Yeah, it does. Those are both really beautiful metaphors. Yeah. So I'm curious about growing up in, in Salt Lake City. Well, I, well I'm not ex actually from Salt Lake. I'm from, um, it's called Ogden City. It's like a little north of Salt Lake, but I grew up there. I moved from Ogden to this place called uh, Far West Utah, which is like a really small town. Um, and then even in within Far West, we were kind of like off and yeah, so I mean, it, it, it really is just like a truck stop kind of town. I was, um, I was probably, I don't know, like 10 at the time or something like that. I was pretty young. Um, so yeah, we ended up over there and, uh, I mean, it, it was a wild, uh, time growing up there. Do you have siblings? Uh, not by blood. Um, well that I know of, I might have half siblings. My dad may have had uh, more kids. He, he ended up going back to Palestine. And then he, um, he actually had to flee because of the conflict. And then he went to um, Egypt, but I'm not, I'm not in touch with him anymore. Um, it's a long story, but he's, he's out there somewhere. And, uh, I, I don't know. Yeah. That's yeah. kind of crazy. So when you were, when you were 10, so he was in your life until you were 10? Peripherally. Okay. I think he was a really good guy. He just, he had a lot of cultural shock. Being here, I think it was hard for him to adapt. And my mom was really, really young. And I think they just had a very mm. chaotic relationship. You know? What brought him to Salt Lake City? Uh, Weber State University. Okay. He went to college there. And then that he met your mom? Yeah, she was working at this um, Chinese restaurant in Ogden. 
and uh, they both worked there. Oh, cool. So they met. Yeah. Wow. So then you're 10, you move to the small town and you're with Russ and your mom. And, and then that's where I read that after school in the same piece, I think you discovered this old guitar and taught yourself to play in secret in the hours between finishing school and your parents getting home. Was yeah. that there? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was there. So that was, so tell me about those hours. I'm curious what you were doing in them before you found the guitar. Oh, before? Yeah. Well, my, my parents were like extremely strict and I had so much housework to do before I got home, you know, I mean, before they got home. So I would get home and then go into like Cinderella mode basically. And just like, you know, clean all the dishes and do all the the birds. I did have three. uh, This is funny. I actually had three parrots because my, (laughs) my mom started, um, uh, fostering parrots. So we, we had a rotation of like insane birds that were in the house all the time. That's so funny that I made that. You really are Cinderella. (laughs) (laughs) Do you have a fairy godmother in there too? I feel like I did. (laughs) But yeah, so these birds were insane and they would come from bad homes. And so they would be screaming like obscenities from like the home that they came from or like cackling or singing or whatever, you know, they were really (laughs) funny. And they were like, abused birds so they were like throwing their food all the time and like upset and so the house would just be destroyed when i get home from school like bird stuff everywhere so many dishes like it was just insane and so i it really took me hours to clean it every day you know wow Um, this is really cinderella (laughs) so i had to do that so that's what i would do i'd usually eat a bowl of cereal and um i'd start cleaning and then i'd finish around four or five they would get home around six. I try to get out of there before they got home. So unless I was grounded. And so I'd leave a note. I'd leave like a yellow sticky note and I'd say where I would be. And I'd try to be gone as much as possible. We were in lots of like open land and I could really like go walk and explore and like find all types of things. I found like abandoned barns and all types of like fun things to play. And I, I knew a lot of neighborhood kids that we would like, you know, catch crawdads and stuff and do like fun things and did you feel like you had good friends there i did yeah i i, I definitely did and some of them i still have um to this day oh so, yeah that's yeah cool. but we're not as close but it's still i love i love them anyway yeah, yeah. did you have step siblings or were you the only kid in the mm-hmm. house there on and off they would kind of like come in and out uh, my mom got married a lot sometimes step siblings would be staying with us and sometimes they would be older and then they would move out or sometimes they would go back and stay with their other parents or something mm-hmm. like that. But I typically always liked them. And the ones I had the longest time were uh, named Damien and Dustin. They both went on to be Marines, which is crazy, you know, but like they, yeah, we were very different, but I, I really did like them a lot. I really did have like a rotating cast of step siblings that were always in there, but I yeah. was my mom's only son. So in that sense, it, and then for some years of my life, it was just my mom and I living together. So, um, so sometimes, but it, it felt like her and I, you know, mm. but usually there were other people around. Is she from Salt Lake City? Uh, yeah, she's from, um, she's from Ogden. She's born in Ogden. What about the landscape there? Like, it sounds like it, you had a, a decent amount of nature around where, yeah. where you live. Do you think that informed you? It's tough to say. I don't like necessarily resonate with like mountains. Like, yeah. you know, some people do. I, I resonate more with like green verdant fields and, um, ocean and rivers and things like that mm-hmm. so i actually i i was vibing with california a lot like when i came here 
and that that had a huge influence on my music and my writing but not so much utah growing up in utah did you always know that you wanted to leave and did you know where you wanted to go did you when was the first time you came to la i didn't always know um it, i guess it sounded kind of like wild to me to to leave it you know i guess i knew when i was dating somebody i was 25 or 26 or something and uh she was like what would you be doing if we weren't dating and i and i was like i would move and it just like came to me you know and she's like well then you should move and i didn't even know where i was gonna go and so i was like okay i will and then i'm with the next month i moved and, and she <laughs> didn't want to move too <laughs> she didn't know she was a business owner and she had a she like owned a house and stuff and she just was like not ready to like uproot but i think she was open to doing that later um and so i kind of just like i had been on tour and i'd been to los angeles and i really liked it um and i was surprised because you know i heard all these bad things about it but i really loved it and i was thinking about moving with a friend to the east side east coast and i was like you know that would just be easy to like move with a friend and so i moved here not knowing anybody and uh and i'm glad i did because i i I, I, you know, I consider it a home now too, for sure. Now you know everybody. Yeah. <laughs> Did you start in this neighborhood? Um, basically, I was, um, I was sleeping in a car for a little while, and then I, um, I got a sublet um, through this like acquaintance, um, and then I met Leah at uh, like a lunch party that I um, went to from the acquaintance, and then within like five minutes of talking, she was like. I've got a room mm. and uh, I was like, oh my God. And I didn't believe it. Cause like all these ones kept falling through and I was like, really, you know, and it ended up being great, you know? So very she's, been, she's been a guest of this podcast. We share, oh, she has? yeah, we share that. Um, we've, we've used that same bathroom upstairs. We <laughs> yeah. share that. I don't think I was going to say we shared a room, but I don't think we ever did. You never stayed in the um, like cubby space? Or Downstairs, yeah. basement? Yeah. No, Sophie was in there. Oh, okay. Yeah. Spent a lot of time in all the rooms though. Right. <laughs> yeah, it's a, it's a special, it's a special place. That, oh yeah. Yeah. I love it. It's a, and Leah's so, so, so special. Oh yeah. She's um, amazing. Yeah. We'll hear from her later in this program. Yeah. Oh really? <laughs> <laughs> cool so okay so you've been here for for what several years now and and how how has moving to california informed you you just in general creatively and um i i think when i first moved here it it was so inspiring to see so many people that had dedicated their lives to to music and even beyond that just like a creative path they found a way to like make a living off of it um that was that was really wild to me. I just I'd never seen that before, and so I was just in awe. And I I actually I mean I I played music, but I didn't do it that much. And I didn't like you couldn't really even hear me when I sang when I moved out here. Like I was whispering, and I didn't. I told myself I wasn't going to move here from music. That I would just try to be a fan of it again, you know. So I went to people's shows, and I I just tried to meet people, and I got really really inspired by everybody playing and. Then I started kind of practicing in, in private. And then as time went on, what influenced me more was the natural landscape of it, like especially in Northern California. Um, I'd go up north and stay on this farm. And yeah, I, I just like, I really like connected to it and fell in love with it. And yeah. So you move here, you don't 
know anybody, you have the one acquaintance, then you meet Leah, which is a great first person oh, to yeah. meet. <laughs> yeah. And then now you have a whole community of friends here. So did that just build over time and you started playing music more and more too? I was working at um, Collage on York, the coffee shop, and it's like, it's so intimate, as you know. So when people walk in there, they're like, you're just like with them alone, you know? And so I, I just was, I was just trying to get to know everybody and Phil, the guy that like, that I thought kind of opened it. He was working there in the beginning and his, his attitude really impressed me. Like he was really, really open with people. He was really welcoming to everybody. He did everything he did with a lot of integrity. And, you know, I, I was kind of like a slacker idiot, you know, like when I, from growing up and I was like, oh, I, I like the way that this guy handles himself, you know? And uh, I even remember like saying something negative about something or even thinking it or whatever. But I remember this moment where he was like, it was about somebody or something. And he was like, he said like, what would you rather them do? Like fail, you know? Mm. And I was like, oh my God. Like, yeah, they just put it, for some reason that like just made everything click. Yeah. And I was like, I want to support everybody, you know? It was kind of like idealistic. I was just filled with a lot of hope and joy. And so I was, um, yeah, just trying to get to know everyone and support them and feel like I wanted to develop a community everybody would feel like really welcome and connect. So I met tons of people that way, you know? Do you feel like you did that? Do you feel like that's happened? Yeah, definitely. I mean, and then it kind of, it, then life changes, you know, but I definitely feel connected to, there, there are core people here that I definitely feel like are like home to me in the neighborhood. I see them around. I'm like, oh, you know, and um, I guess like perfection bubbles burst, people move on, things Things happen. Yeah, life isn't so connected as you want it to be. It gets more complicated, but I I like that too. You know. So, yeah. yeah, I feel. I mean, I guess we we share this the same places and a lot of the same people, and I feel that too. It's like it is really great, and I you know working at the shop, I've met so many people. And it's just nice to have like I live by myself. I work mostly by myself. Yeah. Have the familiar strangers of mm -hmm. like the people at that I see walking around and we smile at each other. Like yeah. that sounds like nothing, but I think is actually filling me up in a way I'm not even aware of. And then of course, like, you know, it's no, it's, it's not a perfect movie at all times, but the people that we all know and love here, it's like, I'm, I'm happy that it ended up, that we both ended up here. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Me too. Well, okay. Going back before here, I, I want to go back to you finding that, guitars um it was my stepdad's and uh i think i was always just really like awestruck by the guitar it like had this kind of like archetypal um like power thing that i would feel when i'd look at it when i was little and i was really in awe of it it felt like an impossible thing to like in interact with you know like it felt really overwhelming to me and so when i found it i was just snooping in his closet for some reason but I was just snooping around and I found it. And I told him, I was like, I snooped around and I found this guitar. I was like, could I play it? And he said, no. So that's why I snuck it. And, and, you know, he never played it because, you know, it was like, it was there, you know, hidden away. I'd never seen it before. So I would sneak it out and play it. And then finally I just came clean to him and I was like, I've been, I've been doing this. And, and I, he actually had some respect for it because I'd never like committed myself to learning anything with any kind of discipline. And so he, they ended up getting me a guitar. Mm. And so. First of all, I'm kind of just like, why would he have ever said no? But then part of me is like, do you think that the 
forbidden fruit of the guitar being not allowed. And you, you said that you hadn't, you know, had that completion to mm-hmm. do something. Do you think that maybe contributed to you? <laughs> <laughs> that, that would be the case with a lot of things in my life. But no, I, I felt like it was really like the, the bond I felt with the guitar and the fascination I had with it and how quickly the songwriting started coming as soon as I started playing it. I definitely think it would have happened no matter what. Yeah. But yeah, it's funny that he said no. I mean, he's just an asshole, you know. <laughs> Russ. <laughs> yeah, Russ. So sorry. Well, thank you. I mean, this is brought to us by Russ yeah. because this guitar. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> for the forbidden fruit. So you're writing songs right away. So you're writing, you're playing guitar, and then you know when you were dating that person, you figure out that you want to move. Was it was it something that you were thinking that you would pursue? when you got here in a way yeah but i i mean i just was like it that that thought just like really i don't know like i yeah, i'm from this small town i i really i it kind of sucked at playing music too a little bit you know and so the idea of like pursuing it in any kind of like way that would have like weight in my life I don't know. That's a weird way of putting it, but whatever. I didn't think I was like, there's no way, you know, but I'm, but I just want to be a witness to what's going on. I want to get inspired by it. And I was really trying to just take it one step at a time. Um, and I don't think I had high hopes or anything because just because of where I was at, I had so far to come. So I still have that kind of like imposter syndrome thing, you know, but I was thinking about it in terms of like, I still wanted to develop my, my songwriting and stuff, you know, being here and deepen it but i didn't think anybody would give a damn about it you know like at all you know it was crazy that anybody did it's just still not that many people do it's just like you know what i mean well (laughs) a lot of people do and honestly more should because because you're really really good when i when i came to see you that i'd never seen you play music i think i told you this but when i came that that night a couple months ago now i guess and oh did you yeah you did this residency and i was just like oh my god it sounded so good you were so good hit like the whole thing was like it really hit me hard like you're so talented and i was like who knew i mean i guess i did know and i think (laughs) i but i was just like blown away i mean wow thanks and it makes hearing the story cooler that i've seen you know the ending or the beginning the really (laughs) the beginning but more people should like i I, but i thank you i also um admire your humble i think a lot about non-attachment and you know there are people who are like i just it has to be this it has to be this way it has i growing up like want to be a musician and are expanded enough to believe that that's in the realm of possibility Mm -hmm. for them and there are some people that like you that just aren't expanded to believe that that's something that they could even do do you think that you're non-attachment is i mean it probably (laughs) creates a lot of imposter syndrome for you a bit but do you think it also contributes to your grit and your like wanting to continue and and the success that you've had when i was not attached i i had like beginner's mind Mm -hmm. you know and that's a part of what i'm kind of talking about wanting to get back to i think that's a really good place to be and then since then i've probably collected a few like attachments and expectations and things like that that i'm really just trying to like purge because i think 
like entitlement and that's that's like pretty like a polarizing word that's a harsh way of putting it but like i just feel like you can't really expect anything from from people mm. you know and it, it's it it will make you bitter and i've gotten bitter at times you know like like people get you know i i just feel like when you notice that it's time to go back to the center and we're all on our own little path and it's gonna happen and I think we definitely have a part to play in it. And I think the more open and loving and welcoming we can be to the unknown and the mystery of life and cultivating it. I think the artists are at their best when they cultivate the mystery and risk of their pursuit of like their inner world, you know, and to be brave about saying, just saying something that's true to them. Part of like when I moved here, there was this really liberating moment where I was like, oh my God, everybody's really, really good. Coming from where I come from, no disrespect to anybody there because I, I love them, but no, no one's like on this professional level. And so when I would see a professional sounding band, I would be like, oh wow, this is really amazing. And then I quickly became kind of desensitized to like people sounding really amazing. I was like, oh, it doesn't really matter. It's like it, if they sound, if they're taking a risk or if they're saying something, that I can really connect to. And so I was like, oh, that's what I've got to try to do, you know? And not that I did, um, because I, I never really felt like I got that deep in any work that I've done, but that was my compass, you know? And that finding the compass was like, wow, that's like, that's what it's all about, you know? And I'm trying to get brave enough to, to go back to that being my compass again. It's, it's easy to lose. Well, that's the thing. I mean, like, of course, non-detachment, like, it's great. Everybody wants that. Yeah. Wonderful. It's getting to it and then staying in it because it's so easy to, like, it, things get stickier the closer you get to them. Mm -hmm. And so I feel like it's kind of circled back to where you were beginning. Like, I understand more what you were saying at the beginning of, right. like, the stakes get higher the further you get. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, I can imagine that that being really tough. Totally. And I think what you said about expectations is, is like kind of hitting me hard. Cause I think that applies to everything, yeah. like regardless of whether it's, you know, with music or pursuing a work thing or a life thing or like romantically or whatever, like friendship, like anytime I have an expectation, it's a disaster. Like <laughs> we should <and> just <laughs> yeah. not having any sort of expectations is great because then you're surprised and that's mm -hmm. lovely, yeah. you know, and you're not disappointed, totally. which is also good, right. you know? Totally. Actually, this is something I wanted to talk to you about with your music of one of your tracks that I read about and it's I Am No Moon and you said about it, the inevitability of change, how we must make a choice when we are confronted by it. We cannot remain in reflection and I really loved that and, and kind of talking about change and learning. And, and I thought that that was a really concise and poetic way to talk about something that I find so much discomfort in, yeah. which is lingering in indecision. Mm -hmm. <laughs> is that sort of what you meant by that? It's, it's one of my least favorite places to linger. <laughs> so is that a correct reading of that sentiment? Yeah. It's, it's like every, every time you make a choice, it's, it's like that you you kill off a lot of other potentials, yeah. you know? But if you don't trim any vines, you won't have sweet grapes, you know? So you've got to do it. And sometimes you're doing it for the best interest of everybody involved, but it's still like like really hard or heartbreaking to do. 
And so it's like this bittersweet thing. And that's kind of, I felt like that song is like this, this bittersweet thing, you know? Yeah. Do you know that? Is it, I think it might be Anne Lamont. Have you ever read her? Mm-mm. I think you'd really like her, but it might, might not be. But actually, oh, I'm going to send you this book because it's, it's called, I think it's called Two. Oh, no, Bird by Bird. Do you know that book? Oh, uh, no. I don't think so. I think you'd really like it. I feel like we have this. Um, bird thing? Yeah, bird theme today. <laughs> but she, it's a, the, the title comes, it's a book about writing, but the title comes from how like writing something can feel so overwhelming. And she always thinks about her brother was like doing a project that he left to the end of the, like when it was due. And it was, he had to like do, like write something about, I forget how many, but like every type of bird in the state. And, <laughs> and he like d- was meant to do it over the course of like the year, but it, he was like young and she was like trying to help him. And she just goes bird by bird. <laughs> yeah. And that's like, that's where the title comes from. <laughs> but anyway, there's this part in it where I think it, it, this could not even be from this book. And I just brought that up for no reason, yeah. but I'm pretty sure it is Anne Lamott, but she says, have you heard kill your darlings? Like in writing, like you have, uh-huh. when you're editing, you have to like, yeah, I thought that was so good, but then you take it away. Like, and it probably wasn't, but it in life, it's like that sort of editing is like involves other people killing the darlings of other ways that something could have gone. And when I, when I try to write something, I, I, I try not to like, I always want to try to not, indulge in something too much everybody has their own little things that they edit but i it's like this i like the the idea that you have this like kind of elusive hard to define ideal that you're like kind of like trying to shed some light on you know and 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 yeah that you just let and you're not precious about it about the work that you do especially for me like i write I tend to write like a lot of songs mm-hmm. and then I don't do anything with most of them. And then I just try to use the ones that I end up thinking will work or something, you know? Yeah. But I think it's good. You don't want to be constipated about your writing process, you know? Let it out. Yeah, totally. <laughs> well, that's like, that's George Harrison did that. Like after the Beatles. Oh yeah. You've probably read this, but what was that? The album he made. Um, All Things Must Pass. Yeah. You, it was like a devil album anyway. But I think he's talked about this because I always think about it because he uses the he talks about poop and he, he uses the word the phrase let it out. So I always think about it. But he I think he had written like devil as many songs. Mm-hmm. Somebody asked him about it, like, why is it a devil album? And he was like, look, man, like I didn't really write much, you know, in the Beatles. There's a lot of cooks in the kitchen there. So I've, I had stuff building for years yeah. and I just got to let it out. And that's yeah. when he says that. But I think it's something like, I don't know, it's someone like taking a ton of pictures or like what I do here is like this, these are very long and then I can edit it down or mm-hmm. keep it or like it's better probably to have more to work with than yeah, less totally makes the fixing things in post a little bit longer but mm-hmm. but what did go back to like what you meant about you don't like to like do you mean being a bit more not vague but like not being so on the nose with something and letting people make their own interpretation is that what you meant Oh, like with indulging? Yeah, yeah. Not indulging in something too much. Mm, that, that's a really hard thing for me to define actually what I mean by that. Um, no, but no, it, I don't mean necessarily to um, leave something intentionally vague. Um, I'm, yeah, it's like that, that something, you know, like have you ever had this happen where you like have something that you live by, but you don't actually know how to talk about it? You know what I mean? Have you ever had that? 
Kind of, but say more if you can. It's like I'm interested. Yeah, it's like for me with like writing songs, there's like it's they they like appear to me like little totems in my head, you know? And they're like guides on what to do. And I I do kind of try to keep those a little bit vague um, because they're more powerful that way and they can direct me. And indulgence, that's so subjective, like what someone would consider it to be. And I feel like it would come off maybe the wrong way if I talked about what I thought it was and what I try to avoid, you know? But like, but yeah, but it's not necessarily to keep my work vague or anything like that because I don't want it to be necessarily vague um but i do want it to i do want it to like maintain its own sense of mystery and and whatever you know i don't like when people write stories and or movies or whatever and they and they say like the moral of the story is this you know Mm -hmm. i do like when any kind of person that makes something trusts the audience to to contemplate it you know even if it doesn't feel safe to do that that's why i love dreams too you know like thinking about them and feeling them. You seem pretty visual. I mean, obviously you're a musician, but it seems like you see a lot of this in your mind. Do you, is that correct? Like, yeah. do you have any like synesthesia tendencies or like, do you see patterns in that way? Mm, I don't, I don't think so. I, I think I'm what you'd call introverted sensing. So mm. um, people that are externally visual, they'd probably be, extroverted sensing and i won't notice a lot about the world around me but i i'll look a lot at the images of my inner world you know yeah do you know your um myers-briggs letters oh yeah do you want to guess i I, (laughs) do you know them well i'm wondering oh gosh i feel like we might be exact opposite (laughs) really yeah, I really, really identify with with Myers Briggs more than like most other systems because I my mom worked in HR and she gave me a, my first Myers Briggs test when I was nine. Yeah, <laughs> so I know your I, uh huh, and I know your S. Um, no sensing, you're not. Uh, no, it, um, I wait. Is it, that even a one? <laughs> S is one, yeah, um, for sure. But but no, I'm and. So you're I N F. Yeah. Oh, we're more alike than I thought, yeah. Sam. Um, we're probably the P? same. Yeah. <laughs> I'm ENFP. INFP. Oh, nice. Okay. Yeah. The way my mom describes it, at least, is always where the however you want to look at it, because it's like a spectrum, right? Uh-huh. Where the least extroverted of the extroverts or the most introverted of the in- introverts. Okay. So we're like right in the middle. So basically right. for us to feel okay, we need like pretty much like equal time alone and equal time with others. Oh yeah, that sounds right. Same. Yeah. And the, it's so funny because I've taken, you know, like online things, like every single, the I and E can mm-hmm. vacillate for me a little bit. Yeah, same. But the other ones, always the same. Right. You too? From what I've read, like psychologically, the, this work tends to be really like, say your sensing function is low, right? If you are like a painter, a lot of painters have um, low sensing actually. And they, um, when they work with the images of their mind, or even when they're like looking at something, the unconscious, because that, because that function isn't totally solidified, it has cracks in it. And so the unconscious gets into that function a lot easier than it would uh, if you were using like a very powerful function, you know? And so a lot of artists like 
when they work with their inferior function, um, it, it, a lot of spiritual growth comes with that. Mm. So, um, especially like when you're into your later life. So like a lot of people, like a lot of people that were like super high sensing will start to use their feeling function as they become elderly, you know, and, or like if they're high thinking, they'll start to use their feeling function when they're in their older years and stuff. And they use it in ways that's private and mm. kind of contained and, and somewhat, somewhat unconscious. It's not like they do it in the external world. They do it in a private artistic practice. A lot of older people paint, you know, things yeah. like that. And so it's really interesting because you yeah. move into the different functions as you get older, but you do it in a way that is um, kind of in private or something like yeah. that. You know? Do you think that happens for the I and E too, the introverted and extroverted? Uh, yeah, that's a good question. I, I bet it does. Um, you know, and I've heard that like, like, like from the Jungian stuff that I've read, it's a, it, it tends that that concept is more like elusive to me. It, it feels like, like we talk about it today in terms of like whether how you get energy from mm -hmm. people or not, or, you know, whatever. And then from this one essay thing that I was reading, it was kind of like introverted people, they have psychic energy like directed at them they're like receiving it from objects that they like have projections into and then they're receiving that psychic energy back into them and and so it can be oppressive or it can give them a lot of energy um and then extroverts like hold these projections and throw them out at people and then chase the thing that they're putting the projection into um and so it it, oh. it has to do at least from what i read with this Jungian way that i look at psychology and is it's like the direction of psychic energy and the symbols that and how you interact with the symbols that you put the energy into and so i don't really know how people look at it today or even if that's like the way the unions totally look at it or not I, i'm not really sure i've only read a little bit about it but but i definitely think that i'm introverted in that way and i don't know if that would change unless i were to yeah, become conscious of it somehow in a way that i am like manipulating it mm -hmm. you know but i don't know what i'm talking about so no i mean i'm that's like riveting actually <laughs> so how did you i love talking about this stuff with you and i know when you told me about tarot that you read tarot from a Jungian perspective mm -hmm. how did you get into psychology and how do you have you always been fascinated by all this stuff because you speak about it with so much like I, this is like my favorite kind of thing to talk to you about. Oh, great. Yeah. Um, no, I wasn't always interested in it at all. I had no idea until my ex um, was seeing a Jungian therapist and the therapist gave her, actually, she gave her a book called Lectures on Typology by Marie-Louise von Franz, which was just a couple lectures about uh, typology is like the Myers-Briggs. Yeah. And I'm pretty sure that Jung invented the idea of typology. Mm. And so he broke up the human behaviors into the, basically the personality structure into those things. And his whole thing was like, you know, where the personality is undeveloped, the psych, the unconscious, which is something more archetypal and collective, it leaks through those cracks when those functions are happening. So even reading something like someone who has a low developed thinking function, if they're trying to think like if you're asking them for directions or like how to problem solve they like lash out in anger or something like that they like lose it they begin basically become infantile you know when they're using the function when they're forced to use it so that was fascinating but anyway so that was the first thing and then there was another lecture in there by james hillman and uh it was on typology as well anyway 
I read that, I was like blown away. And then I just, then she told her therapist I was so into it that she started giving me books. And so she was taking home these books and she wasn't reading them and I was reading them and then giving them back. And then we, her and I, she was really interested in it. So we would get to talk about it. And um, then I started doing my own research on it. And, and that, then, yeah, it kind of just naturally led me to the tarot. And when I found by accident Hodorowsky's book on the tarot, it was very like hand in hand with this other kind of like Jungian and metaphysical mm -hmm. stuff that I was reading. And he seemed to be on the total like same page. And so he basically described tarot as a map of the soul. And basically what that means is that there are archetypal patterns that exist and that they are a like a map of something that happens in human behavior. So like, you know, the hero's journey would be like an archetype, right? And so it would it exist. And the tarot, he, he says that the deck of Marseille, like the oldest deck that we know about, is kind of like a total, he almost, almost talks about it like it's objective, a reflection of like how the soul's nature works. And so that really fascinated. How, that was not that long ago? How many, like how long have you been? That was like, I guess now like five or six years ago or something oh, like that wow. when I kind of started getting into it. Yeah. Yeah, I just feel like you know so much. It, I mean, that's kind of the best like part when you can find something that fascinates you and then like go super down wormholes. Like I, I relate to that a lot. And I think like we were both kind of saying before we started recording that we both have been there and like, who knows, maybe it's our <laughs> ENFP-ness <laughs> ENFP or totally. something, but um, that, wow, that's, that's fascinating. Well, there's a question. I'm going to skip to a question from the ending segment where I <laughs> ask questions from your friends because not a, not as question, not a previous guest of this podcast that we love. She mentions tarot in her question. So she said, maybe ask him about his tarot <laughs> practice and how it informs his creative work at all. I think if I get stuck, I pull cards or I pull cards a lot. And I have projected a lot of like psychic energy into them now too. And so when I see them, um, I can have like really emotional responses to them. And I don't think of them like divination, like fortune telling type of objects, but they, I think that they are like symbols of these archetypes that do exist within you. Those symbols have been amplified by so many different people that write about them. And so that they be, they become to be these like mythic figures that, that are alive in a sense, because they contain so much. They have so many different sides and faces that sometimes, you know, I'll see a card and, you know, it'll be about like awakening or rebirth or like, you know, the hearing the call or like whatever. And, you know, I'll have like this really like big reaction to it. I'm like, wow, it activates something because it's poking around and all of a sudden it's like it finds something that like really needs to be looked at. And you have this big numinous response to that touch, that call that the card kind of facilitates. So that's, that's how it informs my uh, writing books. Well, I was thinking like when we were talking about decision-making, like how are you, how do you make decisions? Do you ever use it within that? And are you, are you a pretty decisive person? No, it definitely depends on the decision. I'm definitely more heart-led than mind-led, even if it like doesn't make a lot of sense. Like even if it's like, oh, you shouldn't go down that road again or whatever, like I might try to do it again, you know? 
Um, and then sometimes the mind steps in and it's like, no, you can't do that. But I tend to be heart led with my decision making process. And I have used tarot for sure to, to uh, make decisions. Um, I find it very useful for that. Not like a, what will happen if I do this kind of way. It's more like you ask what will happen if I do this and you see how you respond to it. And you're like, will you get disappointed or happy or whatever? You can tell like where your heart's mm -hmm. sitting. And I think it's important to keep, like, like we were saying earlier, it's like success isn't linear. Sometimes you do need to go down the road multiple times. And that's not like a failure, you know, yeah. because I think the reason that we're here, you know, the hero's journey is only part of it. The other part of it, and there's so many parts of it, but is like developing um, your knowledge of the, of the soul. And you can't do that without experiencing. And you can't go do that throughout without going into the dark underbelly of things a little bit and seeing how far your trust can go and how much you can hold love without you know like running away from it there's a there could be a self-destructive aspect to that but i think that it's important to to do something all the way through so that you know completely and i find that when you do like people that have like a type that they're attracted to or whatever like i find that when they go through like the whole thing you know they actually stop being attracted to that type i think people do change but it comes through like immense amounts of pressure and and the, going through the process, you know? Yeah, I'll make a logical decisions is basically what I'm saying. <laughs> <laughs> the only way out is through, you yeah, know? Totally. And you have to kind of move through. And it's it, it, like, I wish there was another way out that wasn't through, you yeah. know? Like, because <laughs> it, even though it's true, doesn't make it less, it's still annoying, you know? <laughs> yeah, no, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so you started giving readings to other people, which I've gotten to be the recipient of, which was so lovely and what i'm curious what that experience is like for you like doing it for another person like does that oh, yeah. make you feel drained does that like how does no. that no work? i love it i really i and if i don't do it for a while i kind of like miss doing it uh, i really like it it's just like i don't know I, I never thought that i would be doing that you know and i don't i definitely don't consider myself to be like a tarot card reader or anything like that but like it's definitely a practice that helps facilitate a lot of connection and a lot of like getting back to yourself. And so I love helping people with that. And I love like being a part of the process because I just find it like it gives me a lot of energy and I find it really creatively fulfilling. However, if I do like a bunch in a row, I definitely get exhausted. So I guess it, it can be a little taxing to talk that much, you know? And just be that present with someone else. Like even though that's exactly. good, it just takes a lot of energy. I feel that way about, yeah. about this. Mm -hmm. and no, yeah, totally. Like we've never talked like this before. I mean, this is lovely, but just like doing a podcast, it's like what what I love about it is that we're both really present with each other and oh, not that's doing what another I mean. thing. It, it's like the structure of the thing yeah, totally. allows us to really like connect a lot yeah. more. Like normally I would, I would feel terrible about talking this much, you know, I would never do it, but <laughs> you've invited me to do it. So I'm like, oh, well, this is nice to share, you know, it's, it's nice to do that. Yeah, so tarot is very much like that. It, it like allows us to like cut through and and talk about other things. And yeah, it, 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 you know, you connect with people in like in really wonderful ways mm -hmm. and that you normally wouldn't connect with too. And then yeah. you see them and then you're like, you feel like really close. It's nice, you know? Yeah. I mean, I feel that way about this. Like I've had on really close friends of mine and I've had on strangers and just the guys of like, this piece of equipment being between us, mm -hmm. I get to ask whatever I want and yeah. I get to like hear about, you know, 
if I just ran into you at the coffee shop or, you know, I probably wouldn't have asked you a lot of the things that whether it stays in or not, that, right. that we got to talk about today. Yeah. And that is really lovely. Recording my voice for the internet, like actually does make connection. And I think that's cool. Yeah. No, Tara is the same way. It's so cool. And, and you've really contained the conversation so beautifully and, um, I appreciate it, and you've been very generous to me uh, about it. So, yeah, thank you. Well, well, gosh, thank you. Well, did <laughs> yeah. you this? So, this person, when I had my my second unplanned tarot reading, White Feather, did not have the same bedside manner as you. Like he was very <laughs> intense and direct, and yeah. you're so gentle and and loving. And like, also, I I knew you mm -hmm. a bit before too. So. That was maybe part of it, but somebody told me that everything that he said was like really intense. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and then somebody told me after that day, they were like, a tarot reading is a reflection of whatever energy you had that day. Mm -hmm. And it can change based on if your energy changes, that's what will come up in the cards. Yeah. Do you agree with that? Totally. Totally. I think, I think tarot, um, can mirror the way that a dream dreams function like there are times where you have these dreams that are they definitely are in line with what you did that day um i i always think that something deeper is going on and it takes that form and it's like maybe something that day triggered something in the unconscious that's bringing you back to something and it, it's trying to speak through that engagement it's trying to tell you something and i do think sometimes tarot works day to day like that it's like oh here's this pattern or here's this this mood or, you know, and every time there's a mood, there's like a door in it, you know, like you could walk through, you could explore this, you could get into this a little bit. And then when it passes, it can fade. And then there are other readings and there are other dreams that are more like deep and archetypal that are like, it, it just feels bigger. They have more gravity. They're like big chapters of life or something. And sometimes those come out of nowhere um, and they're more uh, fixed. They have that fixed presence about them. Same with the dream. Where like almost the dream shocks you a little bit. So I, I think there's both, you know, and I do yeah. think it, it mirrors that kind of that, that pattern, you know? Yeah. I want to talk a little bit more about music. You have been on tour with so many artists. You have been on tour just in general and on your own and played so many shows. Do you have any really memorable tours or shows or like anything like what makes it feel really good to you? And what does it feel like to you? Do you get... Do you feel energized after like we're, what I was saying with tarot? Is it draining yeah. or is it energizing to you? The first tour I went on was with this guy named Brent Colbert. And it was called The Awful Truth. And uh, my best friends basically at the time we played in this little band and we went around. That was like my first tour. Unforgettable. The The tour that I did with Sylvie was like, was wild. You know, that was really, we were like partying the whole time. It was so crazy. We weren't partying when we got into the car accident. But that was a wild trip. And it was really memorable because a lot happened, like a lot of good, a lot of bad. Like it was like a really crazy tour. It was long, right? It was pretty long, yeah. Yeah. And then right after that, I think I did kind of like my first runs of things, you know. So those were also memorable for me because it was like, oh, it's the first time I was like really testing my stuff out on the road. And that, that felt really special. The Wise Blood tour that I did, she wanted us to do it stripped down, no drums. And so I'm playing these pretty quiet, slow songs in these huge rooms. And it's just like, like Paris, amazing, connected so much. It was incredible. But then other places, it was just like, pff, no way. You know, like the UK, pff, it was terrible. The sound is bad. And it was just like, the sound needs to be like 
incredible for that style of music to work in a huge room like that, you know? So sometimes you can't win the crowd. That's okay. I also learned like I need to write songs that are like a little bit more varied, especially if I'm going to be playing a lot of shows solo because it costs a lot of money to bring people out on the road. I need to be able to not just play a bunch of quiet songs or I need to maybe even say no to big gigs if the venue isn't going to be right for the style that I'm doing. So it's it's interesting. It's like sometimes what you think would be like the best thing isn't necessarily the best thing. And then smaller tours where I'm playing smaller clubs stripped down, it's like those are amazing. You mm-hmm. know? So I really love touring. I, I love being on the road. I like, I feel like I'm happiest when I'm mm-hmm. on the move. I love meeting new people. I love playing. I, I, I love just seeing the the world you know pass by and like being in new places all the time exploring it it gives you that sense of beginner's mind too when you're in like a new place all yeah. the time it's definitely not for everybody but i i really feel like it's something i could do um for the rest of my life for yeah. sure i really love it when there's a tour that's booked in a wild way where like you're making like 10 hour drives all the time that can be grating as hell yeah. you know it's like oh my god it's so hard to do that and not like feel like you're just not human you know what i mean like there's just no time to like eat good food you're eating shitty food that's the worst part about it i think is the is the food when you can't eat healthy nice good food i i really like feel very nourished and um happy when i can like eat well you know yeah and when you're eating chips and you know stupid things like that and there's always a point in the tour where like you just kind of fall into the inevitable and then you kind of correct but yeah it that that's that's the hard part i think you talked about in something that i read how you had some confidence early on before your musical ability was oh, where yeah. it is now can can you talk <laughs> that about comment. that i mean where do you think some of that early on confidence came from i was making a joke kind of cuz there was a question in this interview that was like what was it like playing your first show and i was playing this open mic night and i said well it was they were, they were like, what do you remember about it? And I said, I remember my confidence was much higher than my ability was, you know, or something like that. I don't remember what I said. But anyway, that was just simply like a lack of awareness, you know, like yeah. I was like, oh, I'm singing and playing like I, I'm like, this is incredible. You know, it was like my identity. It was like I was so enthralled by that. But and then you, you have all these people that hear you play for the first time and they're like, yeah good job, buddy, you know, like keep doing it, you know, so you just think you're really good or something. And then it's like, no, you're not, you, you got to put in the time. And, uh, I, my confidence wavers in and out. Sometimes I, sometimes I feel really grounded in that there's this thing like Rilke says, like in letters to a young poet, you know, where he's like, one of the worst things you could do is to critique art. I even fully agree with that. I critique things all the time, but I do think it's from like a weaker place or something, you know? So sometimes I feel like I'm resting on something that is, has come from my well, and how could I criticize it? And I'm, pride's like the wrong word, but I'm, I'm happy and grateful to be able to like connect to that and play it. Like it's, it's not criticizable you know it just is and it's for someone out there and Mm -hmm. i I have the ability to do it and then other days i want to give up like and that happens all the time especially lately like i've been having a harder time lately um and i'm so sensitive to like any criticism you know or like anything like that where like i'll just be like i I don't want to do it you know what i mean but i don't mean it you know yeah no i know um but you want to run away sometimes you know if someone gives me a piece of positive feedback or positive validation like Mm -hmm. even if it's not true or like those people saying to you when you were first starting out like good job man keep like 
that is more motivating to me than someone being like, you're not so good. Maybe do something else. Like, I'm not going to want to keep going. Yeah, like, yeah, even yeah. though it's maybe not true, but like, we need some of, I think everyone needs a little bit of delusion to like try because it's really hard, yeah. you know? Oh, yeah, I agree. Like, sometimes the criticism is great. It's, it's just like, it's just got to be when you're asking for it, yeah. really, you know? And it's got to be from somebody that you trust. I love, because I love the mentor like student relationship idea i really love that and i have an older guy in my life who like i really respect and look up to a lot i have two actually and you know they'll like totally tell me when you know they're like this is weepy this song where are you singing breathy like whatever and they've helped shape my sounds completely you know yeah. through their criticisms that were like blunt as hell and sometimes they just make you aware of something that could change or they like align something with your taste and they help you do that but when it's coming out of nowhere and it's especially from people that don't get it mm -hmm. what that does for me more than anything is like because you don't necessarily always believe them you know but when they miss the mark it makes me feel like alone because this thing that you connect to so much yeah. you hope other people will and then when you have these reflections of people that don't understand, you're like, no one ever will. Yeah. They'll only get this kind of thing that you feel alienated from maybe, yeah. you know? And then you're, you just feel alone and, and isolated and alienated. And so Which cool. is like the worst motivator, the opposite of a motivator. Well, but <laughs> it can also be the best one too, right? Because if you're like, oh, I feel alienated. And then you, you're stuck in that and then you let yourself kind of hit bottom. You're like, well, what are the things that only I would say? Because fuck it, you know, I, then I'll say them, yeah. you know, because who cares, right? And then you like, your way out is because of that. And it's amazing. You have to go through like getting beat up a bit to like, to realize that you really don't care or like they help you get deeper to something that only you would say. Sometimes it's like when someone's criticizing you for something. I guess what I'm talking about is this idea of then like doubling down on what you're being criticized for mm. and going deeper and deeper with it. Yeah. You know, because you think about so many people that get criticized in the beginning for doing what their like signature thing is, you know, and then they become immune to any kind of criticism and then they never change anymore either, you know. So it's definitely, I, I have this like dualitis, is that a word? But whatever, I have like a, a mixed perspective yeah. on it. You have to find like a Goldilocks of, or yeah. it's not even finding a, a center with it. It's more like both are good and, and both are good when they're true and they're mm -hmm. honest. However, you have to kind of like what you're saying about tarot, like it's cool, but like it's intense. Mm -hmm. Like you have to kind of be ready to hear it and you yeah. have to, and it also depends on the delivery too, but, all, mm -hmm. but like when that's that's kind of what i was saying in the the newsletter where i wrote about you but i was feeling really down and i always think about this thing that someone said on on here actually like years ago but he was like whenever you're feeling like whenever you're depressed basically like it's better to outsource your percep your perception of yourself is going to be really skewed when you're depressed obviously yeah and so it's better to outsource it to someone who gives a shit about you like it doesn't even have to be somebody who loves you but like someone who cares at right. least a bit and whatever they think of you is 
it's also going to, going to be skewed because mm-hmm. no one is, is accurate. Right. Mm-hmm. But it's going to be closer t- to what's actually going on than what your depressed <laughs> mind is saying. Yeah. But I find like when I'm really in a low, the last thing I want to do is the thing that is useful, you know, mm-hmm. and talk to someone in that way. And yeah. even if I do, it's just like, okay, well, you're just like, you know, it's very hard to like shift that in mm-hmm. your brain. And so I think a lot of that feedback can can come, it depends on where you're at to, mm-hmm. to be able to receive it or be ready for it. Like you said, like it kind of has to be, everything's about timing. Yeah, 100%. I mean, yeah, there, there's like so much transference with people where like they can, these interactions that we have when we're actually able to connect and a lot of depression sometimes is like a lack of connection simply, yeah. you know? Um, and Von Franz talked about it like, usually with depression, there is a big, need not being met like it might be that like this sensitive person is secretly kind of like power hungry tyrannical and there's this huge need for power that they're repressing all the time that's like caused them to hit this really big depression block Mm -hmm. you know what i mean and the transferences that we have with people can like cleanse us of those things give us lots of psychic energy and things like that and then you can also do it with dream images you know or you're like you can devote yourself to a, a a personal image that like means something more than what it is to you and that's a really interesting thing because you can never obtain it you know so it really is you're just spiritually devoted to it you know i think in in either case like it's like you you have to um deal with the devil there too of like what is it that you really want beyond the the symbol the figure like what what is it that you really want and how can you cultivate it in inside of yourself into some kind of practice that you're actually reckoning with it somehow i feel like everybody should have a creative life because in some way a creative outlet because it's just such a great way to deal with those demons you know like you can work with them a little bit or have many like buckets you can pull from yeah and then like what you're saying with the transference i mean i i feel that so much and it can be unexpected of like kind of what I was saying too, just getting out of just having a conversation with someone or like talking to someone. The only thing that gets me out of my head effectively is hearing about someone else being in their head, you Mm -hmm. know, and just like listening. Mm -hmm. And I think that's what you're saying of like, that's connection. And and that's something else I wanted to ask you about your music, actually, of you playing bands and, and what have you learned about collaboration with other people? And it kind of ties in with some of this, maybe. It's just, and I'm not saying I do this, but I feel like it's like, you got to be a good hang. Like you can't be too controlling. You can't like impose, you can't get too emotional or anything like that. Like, I feel like you have to kind of, you have to be there in service of whatever it is that you're working on and, and have just as high of a standard for it as you have for your own stuff. And so I, like, I wouldn't work with somebody who was like more like if they're not, if they don't have as high of a standard, I would feel like we're not compatible, you know? And I have worked with people like that and I'm like, no, I can't do it. Or like, or like whatever, you know, it's like different work processes, mm-hmm. but cause you want, you want to just open as many doors as possible while maintaining this idea of like, or this standard of like, is that the best that it could be? And that's not like reaching for some external, like far away idea of perfection. It's like, what is this song? What is it trying to do? And how does it feel the most itself, you know? And, and just trying to make sure that everybody's, playing on it to that standard um but i love collaborating i i I really like being a side guy too um in people's bands i've been playing in Haley, 
uh, Lady Appletree's uh, band. And her music's so good. And it's so fun just like, you know, being the rhythm guitar harmony guy. Like it's really, I really enjoy that a lot. You two together is like really special. Oh, thanks. Yeah. You were just recording with her. Yeah. She's, she's working on her. I don't even know if it's like going to be an album or what, but yeah, she's doing some recordings right now. And she sings with you sometimes too. She when does, I, yeah. When I saw you, yeah. that it was honestly that show like really was so good. The sound oh, was so good. Thank you. She was so good. Like, yeah, she's amazing. She yeah, really is. We all met on that Sylvie tour and we, we all like just really bonded, probably like trauma bonded from the accident yeah. a little bit, you know? And then we've all just kind of stuck together. So we're like everybody's band, you know, they play with me, we play with her, you know, we would play, um, we were talking to a few other people about like being their band or whatever. And that's just like, I, I love that idea. You know, that it's just like, everybody's just trying to support each other's thing. You know? Yeah. So. Yeah. I mean, I, I shared about the, the accident in the, in the newsletter and oh, people you. can, can people still support the. Yeah. It's still up. I'll probably take it down soon. Because we're pretty close, and I feel like I could probably like cover the the rest, you know. But yeah, it's 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 been that was really moving posting that. Like it was a lot of people came mm. through, and just like I don't even know, it's just crazy. It's really it was really moving to to well, see that. That's good. I, I'm so sorry that happened, and I I can imagine how that would that would bond you all having gone through something <laughs> <Yeah>. so horrific. <laughs> so, totally. This week's episode is brought to you by Paleo Valley. Listen, Paleo Valley is incredible. They make these beef sticks that are 100% grass-fed and grass-finished. Many sticks on the market claim to be grass-fed, but you know, they're not. They're they're eating grains and other things. But at Paleo Valley, they are sourced from small domestic farms in the U.S. They use real organic spices and flavors. Very eclectic group of flavors that that my friends are loving. It's incredible. They taste amazing. They are high in protein. And you know what? They're quick. They're on the go. They're quick. You can grab them. I can't believe that any of us have to feed ourselves a couple times a day and do everything else. So to have something on the go like this, honestly, it makes the world of difference. <laughs> it really does. It's high in omega-3 fatty acids. Those are really good. It's uh, protein rich as we've discussed. And listen, they refuse to cut corners at Paleo Valley with all their products. They make several other things that I love. They have these bars that I really love that I eat on the go. And my friend Dexter loves these beef sticks so much. He's always asking me to bring him over more. He takes them to work. He has to be up very early. He goes to the gym and he eats these beef sticks all the time. I brought them to my friends at the coffee shop. My friend Ryden, who works at the shop with me, loves them, eats them all of their great and nutrient dense and Again, this company, listen to this, they're family owned. We love a family in this family, dare I say. Okay, so here's the thing. You can get a discount. I mean, I just want to tell you a couple other things. There's no MSG or hormones or, you know, I'm just looking at all the incredible benefits. So head over to paleovalley.com slash let it out for 15% off your order. That's paleovalley.com dot com slash let it out for 15% off your first order. Paleo Valley, they're great. So many products, including but not limited to beef sticks. Also their vitamin C supplement I've been taking and knock on wood, 
I'm not sick. And again, the bars, the beef sticks, have at it. This week's episode is also brought to you by another show that I actually really love. It's called Talk Easy. And here on Let It Out, I'm all about learning from the creators shaping our culture. And I want to know about their lives from their inspirations to their fears and everything in between, as you know. And there's another podcast that we love that also takes a deep dive into the artists, activists, and writers that inspire us. It's called Talk Easy with Sam Fagoso. Talk Easy is a different kind of weekly interview show. Every Sunday, Sam invites a culture maker to come to the table and speak from the heart in ways that you've probably never heard from them before. Talk Easy has released over 300 episodes. Some of my favorites include the one with David Byrne, Natasha Leone. Sandra Cisneros, Ethan Hawke. I really loved that one. Ocean Vong. If that sounds like an eclectic group of guests, it's because it is. It's driven by an inquisitiveness about who we are and who we become. Talk Easy is a place where people sound like people. Sit back, relax, and enjoy Talk Easy with Sam Fogoso, available wherever you get your podcasts. When I had our friend Kale on, who recommended you, we had this conversation about, and I actually talked about this with Nada a bit. This this came up too when because it was around the time her book was coming out, and she was talking about like how hard she worked on making sure people saw this thing that she made and worked really hard on. And I thought it was really good that she was so open and honest about that, mm-hmm. and and that is helpful. I think. You mean kind of like the promotion aspect, yeah, of things, and yeah. like a, that it's part of it, and important if you make something that we want it to be seen if you're proud of it Mm -hmm. and and so i was talking to kale a little bit about this too of the concept of self-mythologizing and we all sort of have to do it in in different ways and Mm -hmm. you are someone who is so genuine and (laughs) well i mean (laughs) from what i see or or you're doing really good with your act (laughs) (laughs) Um, but, but that's the thing, like how aware are you of creating an image of yourself or self mythologizing and what are your thoughts on, on that as being part of of the work? I think the key thing, and, and I talked to a lot of people like this about this in tarot readings, because I I talked to a lot of people that um, struggle with that, you know, with the promotional side of things. I think most of us do. I I like to think about it like it's performance. It's another creative endeavor and that's the way that i should look at it and that you can never identify with the like avatar thing that you're presenting whether you're you know saying it's a myth or you know a brand or or whatever it is you are not that thing you're so much bigger and more complicated than that thing um and so when it's like you know when you think about it like in terms of like authenticity i think it becomes a really overwhelming task that's almost like impossible to do like i think people would disagree with me here but to me it seems like it it can't really be authentic you know it can be a kind of authenticity you know maybe but i think i like i think it becomes more authentic when you think about it as performance yes you know when you're it's honesty Mm -hmm. at least you're like calling a spade a spade Mm -hmm. not like totally it's like you know david bowie is not ziggy stardust and you know david bowie's not david bowie either and i i think that 
all those artists like Dylan and Bowie and people that are able to like shape shift and do these things, they're totally aware of that. And they're not identifying with the characters that they make. They're just using them as like a, as a way to connect. And that's how I think about uh, promotion, you know, just being honest about it and yeah. that, cause they were all doing it, yeah. you know? And, and I to. think, yeah, even just beyond living a creative life, like we all have these images that we're crafting of ourselves, which it's like very uncool to talk about, mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, like this is like the, it's, it's so much cooler to, and Nada said this in a way that I really ad admired, but we were talking about social media and we were talking about promoting the book and, and media and, and, and she was like, yeah, it is cooler to not have it and to not do it. Mm -hmm. But also I, that would be so silly because we have this thing <laughs> yeah. that we can share this thing I worked hard on, you know? Yeah. So, and I, I really like, I was like, yeah, it is cooler, but. In my view, there's just no structure that could help you if you didn't do it, you know? Yeah. And like, like if you're going on tour or you're on a book tour, like whatever, and you're getting people that are like following you, trying to understand what's going on. There's no way to interact with them without doing it, you know? Like, I just can't even imagine how artists were doing it before. Maybe there was better infrastructure, but I doubt it, you know? And there's nothing even still, you know? So it's like the idea of not doing it seems like total self-destruction to me, you know what I mean? Uh, and it's just trying to maintain a healthy relationship with it. That was one thing that I, that I learned from Phil at the coffee shop. Mm. I was like, you know, just support people trying to do their promoting. Like, let them do it. I'd rather see them happy than sad. And if you spend too much time on there, though, it can definitely make you bitter and you can definitely get really annoyed with people that never stop doing it, you know, that I feel like that's when you're, you're too far in, you know, you got to mm -hmm. pull back. Well, I find too, like, if I, my ratio of like consuming and contributing has to be okay, because mm -hmm. if I am like, essentially like backed up you know yeah. like if i haven't written anything or made something i'm proud of or done anything that i feel like i've not contributed but i've at least like tried mm -hmm. and shared something then i'm looking at other people trying and sharing their stuff and i'm like oh, god i'm the worst and they're great you know <laughs> like but then if i've done my thing and shared my thing then i look at everybody else and i'm like oh i'm so glad you also did your thing you yeah. know like then it's so it's so it's all where a mirror of just where I am, you yeah. know? Yeah. But you're right about like managing the the validation and the reaction. I think that's really tough. My my friend who I'm oddly like helping her with essentially this, mm -hmm. like essentially book PR, but she has a really huge following on mm -hmm. on Twitter and, and Instagram and everywhere. And she completely took herself off of it like mm -hmm. she doesn't do she she's like well it's silly for me like that's worth something and she is a writer and a clinician and and that is you know and she didn't grow up with it she's like a decade older than us mm -hmm. and but she you know all of a sudden like pretty quickly after writing a couple pieces in the new york times like got a really big following and mm -hmm. now her husband she just told me this the other day but whenever she she has a new book coming out whenever she posts about it her husband is the one that does it like mm -hmm. she doesn't have the pastor anymore she, she's just like i don't I, yeah and she was like but it's funny because i find myself asking him what's the number on that how to, and then she's like wait don't tell me like there's yeah, a yeah, higher yeah. part of myself that doesn't want to know <laughs> but i just thought it's so interesting how our brains like <laughs> isn't that wild yeah of course yeah for How sure. do you manage the validation and, and the reaction to your work? 
I mean, I, I think I react to it like most people do. Like I, I would, I, I love when it's uh, a strong reaction and I, I definitely would like judge my, maybe I'll feel insecure about like something that I shared if, um, there's like not as much of a reaction. But I, I try to keep this in mind that like, it's so funny, like with creative people and their work when they share it, like it, it has nothing to do with the, the world, you know, like you, you don't even get that many opportunities to go share it other than like the release show or like whatever. So most of the reaction that you're judging it off of is this like social media thing that happens for a little while. It's like this huge dopamine hit or whatever. Um, but it like, it, it doesn't exist, you know, it's like, yeah, maybe people like double tapped it, but you don't know what's in their mind. You don't know. You, you just don't know anything. Maybe they shared it because they felt like they had to like, whatever. It's just like anything else, but it's just this thing that's like, totally not real but it has a lot of weight in it and so it's a really hard thing to navigate um and i'm definitely like you know i fall prey to it all the time it's a part of life now um i would i would love the idea of like getting to the point where you could ace it out you know like when you didn't like if you could just have someone post on there for you and be on there anymore like I think my friend's husband good. yeah i think that's a great idea you know or we could just do it for each other mm -hmm. like i should just you could do mine and i'll do yours and we won't <laughs> yeah. talk we won't talk to each other totally. or i'll just it's great every time yeah <laughs> but then that's why we like that it's designed to be inconsistent because mm -hmm. inconsistency makes our brain oh interesting yeah yeah so it's designed to like but, keep you coming back yeah exactly yeah but beyond just like out of instagram like more broadly with mm -hmm. with validation and 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 what we're talking about of how we handle the amount of dopamine that we're getting yeah I, i'm gonna also skip to the asking for a friend segment because this relates to our friend jake's question right he has a couple but this one is the one that's related so he says my boy as an artist with so much self-doubt and ridicule for your own work do you trust <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he knows me <laughs> do you trust the fans and people that love your music i say sam bring sam brings me to another world when i hear him play do you ever <laughs> question that praise or at the end of the day are you proud and confident of what you make I, I think some people that are like really committed to like rejecting all praise or like whatever is definitely not a sign of Humility. I almost think that's kind of like a reverse narcissism sometimes. Like it, I, and I definitely am victim of that. And I, I will do a kind of narcissistic self destruction sometimes. You know, it's like a defense mechanism like type of thing. Like self deprecating, but beyond. Yeah, exactly. Um, and my friend actually, like an older guy that I was telling you about, he'll call me out. He's like, you're in narcissist mode, you know? Um, but humility is definitely something that I enjoy. I wouldn't necessarily say I'm like a humble person, but like I value that trait um but i also value when people are like no fucks given you know i actually really value that too it's like it's like you need to know when to be humble and when to just be bold or something you know i definitely believe it when people tell me a compliment because um it would be it'd be there are definitely people that would just blow smoke for sure mm -hmm. but i think for the most part like Someone's just giving you a compliment. I think, I think the thing that like I grapple with in like, if we are talking about the doubting doubt side of things, my mind, if I'm in that mode, it will go to like, well, I probably could never write another good song again, you know, cause I always feel like, and this links to, I don't know, 
the next question about what Jung was talking yeah, about. Should we, should we, let me reread that one okay. in full for you. Okay. Jung says the artist is not a person endowed with free will who seeks his own ends, but one who allows art to realize its purpose through him. Do you believe in free will? Okay. So just connecting with the previous question to that, um, I think because I feel so tentative or like insecure about it sometimes is because I do agree with that. You can't force the veil to lift, you know, like mm -hmm. you have to kind of seduce it into lifting or something like that, you know, or it's like, it's out of your hands. And so that feeling of almost like helplessness to it, to the muse or something, I don't know. You can always rely on craft, but like, it's not as maybe strong of work, but anyway. So because of that feeling, sometimes if I'm given praise, I'm like, oh, I maybe could never do it again or something. Or I always feel like fundamentally insecure, you know, I've learned to trust it more as time's gone on to the point where like, I won't write a song for a year, you know, and then I'll write like 30 at, at once, you know. I do believe in free will though. To me, I see it as kind of a mix of like spirit realizing itself, becoming conscious through you. And the other part of it is that the conscious mind through craft and taste is manipulating it. It, it is a reflection of like, you know, of, of your own critical mind as well. Because like, you know, rock music and folk and whatever, it's not coming out of a vacuum. It's like stacked on top of history, you know, and it's got a crazy history. And, uh, you know, we're on the backs of a lot of people and, you know, it would be crazy to not acknowledge that that's part of the thing too, you know. Do you think a person has a choice in anything or do you think we are living as a servant to something else that has something to bring to others? And if that's the case, do you believe in predestination? <laughs> I think it's a mix personally. Like, I think it's like, I mean, we don't know, right? But um, I think there are certain things that like you're called to do, you know? You have certain skills that you didn't ask for. That's not necessarily free will, you know? Like, you, it's, it's a bit of fate there. But you don't have to do it. You don't have to pursue it. And you could do, you could do other things, you know? So, I, I do think it's both. Like, like with the tarot, right? Like the tarot doesn't tell the future. It it highlights something and there's a doorway there and you can walk through it or or you don't have to, you know? And everything has a higher and a lower polarity and um it it's so it's very it's complex and in regard to choices, it's like you may think you're not choosing something and then you are choosing something and you end up in the same place somehow or something. So predestination is something that totally exists, you know, because we psychically do that to ourselves all the time. You'll live out a pattern that you're not aware of all the time and, and you'll end up right where you didn't want to be or like maybe where you wanted to be, but I don't know. You live something out because you're unconscious. What's like an example of that? Oh, like becoming your father or something, oh, I see, you know? Mm-hmm. This is why it's art. I think art can be anything. It can be life because it's an unconscious pattern. It's an unconscious force. It's then becoming conscious through you, right? So the example with the father would be like, you know, you, you reject your father and everything that he represents. And especially when you see it in other things, like the idea of like the father archetype inside of an institution or whatever, you reject all institutions, you reject the law, you reject order, whatever, you know, anything that like that archetype rules, whatever, just using an example here. Um, but then you become a tyrant about it, you know, 
in your mm. quest to like get rid of it and be you know egalitarian or whatever you end up being tyrannical as hell and noticing anybody's imperfection or anybody's you know tendency to lean to the right or whatever you know so then you end up being your father but in like this reverse yeah. way right so but then when you become conscious of the pattern and and in your life you learn to love the things that you're supposed to hate or whatever that's that's art that's like living out art you know and that's growth that's yeah. like that's personal growing and i think what's what's that one quote of like until the conscious becomes subconscious becomes conscious we're we're like victims of these patterns yes totally but i think also when when you were saying that the other thing i was thinking about is like you were saying like okay these talents we have a, a friend of mine says follow the dream that's also following you mm-hmm. but it's also kind of like the talents you don't have are also sort of indicative of like the the way you're gonna take something you know like mm-hmm. at a certain point it's like well i'm probably not gonna be at this anymore mm-hmm. at this point or it just not the way that i don't have an aptitude towards that or mm-hmm. whatever and then that also is directive yeah yeah there's definitely like and I'll, i always go back to the typology thing but like you know i'm never gonna be an engineer you know i right. do not have that brain like and even if i wanted to be you know music definitely followed me for sure however like designing something by painting it with no consequence can be a very powerful spiritual practice for me to to do and and playful you know and like to make to make buildings in sand or something like that can really unlock parts of the brain that are really useful to you so you should pursue you should pursue things that are like compensatory you know um that are like you know things that you're not strong in you should pursue them in your own way your own private sacred spiritual secret way you know whatever but as far as like having where you invest your egoic kind of energy that you're going to like live your life by and gain strength from and derive a lot of your confident confidence and maybe even money from you do have to be a bit practical about that i think but you'll be so surprised at like the fruits that bloom out of other things and maybe that will end up being your career you know it happens all the time you know people start out one way and they start this little side practice thing and then they end up being like so fulfilled and they end up doing that with their life you know yeah so james hillman says that what's the purpose of life it's like to fall in love with it you know mm-hmm. i sounds so simple and and kind of like like a greeting card or like a hallmark card if you're curious about the world there's secrets everywhere it, i think you know we're so alienated i'm so alienated that the more you can be loving and curious uh you could go anywhere yeah i think so too i mean it will it's interesting kale was talking about this a little bit when when he was in in your seat there yeah <laughs> and he was saying that you know he had just started he like you 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 also work in many mediums and he was saying how he had just gotten into ceramics and mm-hmm. you know since then i ran into him the other day he's like i joined the studio i made like and it's it makes me so happy to see his ceramics on yeah. instagram and like that he's like yeah i'm gonna do a book and i'm gonna do like i think that's really cool to just try a bunch of, and I, we know so many people that right. you and i that i'm thinking of right now that that work across several mediums and yeah yeah, that I, I think that why else are we here than to have a real experience, you know, and <laughs> yeah, try totally. a bunch of things and connect with each other. And we're all going through our weird little, speaking of Kale, let's do his question. So okay. he asks, how do you feel after you play a show? I'm sure it ranges for each, but 
what are the myriad of emotions that you tend to go through after performing? I, th- I feel like shows are like, if you can connect to the, the audience or, or not, you know, like you might play really well, but if you're not connected, then uh, you, you'll feel alienated and maybe sad or something. And I, if I'm sad about it, the way the show went, I'll like critique my voice or my playing or whatever. I'll definitely like beat myself up. If I'm, if I'm happy about it, then, you know, I'm like, wow, this is the best. I'm so blessed with this way of life, blah, 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 you know? So, you know, I, I wish I had something more to say about that. I, I feel like that's really what it is. It, it, for me, it's just about connecting and it's really hard to do that in big rooms, you know, like I was saying earlier. So I, I like to play smaller shows, you know? You've mentioned dream work a lot, and mm. I don't know if you remember this, but that was like the main thing that you had me kind of walk away with was like, do you pay attention to your dreams? And and you, you, sh- you should, it might be useful. And I kind of thought about it ever since, and yeah. you've mentioned it a lot even today. Yeah. So I'm curious, how do you, how do you work with your dreams? I, d- I didn't take them um, as seriously until I started getting into like Jung and stuff. Uh, but now I, I, like I'm like oh that's like the divine speaking through us you know like I I take it very seriously now I guess um and I feel like it's really important to feel a dream um like not to just start to try to interpret it like I think the the feeling of the the images it's important to play with that you know and go into your mind and imagine them the images that you see and interacting with them, asking them questions, touching it, feeling, and just going back to that feeling and sitting with that feeling. And if it's like uncomfortable, just being curious about it. Even if it's good, just being curious about it. Like what it, what's going on here? Like what's it play? Cause you know, it's activating you, but it's unconscious. And, and so this is something that is like, Fun, I believe to be like fundamentally driving us, you know, these energies and our, our interactions with these images. And so I think it's important to like be curious and playful about it um, and, and to feel them. And then the other side of it is like the kind of like integrating it into interpreting it um, in some capacity. If you're able to like start to be able to do that with somebody or um even amplifying the symbols through different myths or different things that you can like, you know, just explore it. Because as an artist, like the most powerful asset you have is your inner life. Mm -hmm. And finding out the way that you feel and you react to something. I I just saw this like clip from Leonard Cohen on, he's like, I whittle away my writing until I dismiss all the slogans of like the collective. And I finally get down to something that feels urgent. That's something that only I would say that has risk that feels like something only I feel and dreams are a doorway to that. So I think they're really important, but they're not just important for that. I think they're important for just like developing your, your life, you know? Yeah. It reminds, there's this Bowie quote, I feel like I I've said often, but similar, it's like pretty much the same sentiment, but he's like, anytime I started to second guess the work and do it, you've maybe heard this, like performing for an audience, mm-hmm. like that's when the work suffered but yeah. when he was really selfish about it. Like that's when it was the best. Oh yeah. 100%. Like I saw that clip too. And yeah, I, I totally think it's true. It's like whenever you do something, because like when it's coming out of insecurity and you're like, Oh, I've got to, and I was just saying this earlier, I've got to write like more upbeat stuff or like, or this thing's hip, I should do that or whatever. You're always behind and it's not authentic. Your soul's not in it. 
you know? Yeah. I, the real risk is trusting what is coming through. And, and obviously you integrate that into some kind of like tasteful structure that you've accumulated by being a part of the process and learning a craft, you know, and you, and you integrate it with that. But, um, when you actually have, when you're actually saying something and doing something that feels deeply personal, that's where the biggest risk is for sure to me, you know? Well, you have further to fall, you know, I think if, if you're wearing a mask or you're like, you're doing something that you think people, other people will like, if they don't like it, they're not really not liking you. Mm -hmm. But if you're really, if you're showing yourself, then it hurts more, you know? I mean, that's intimacy, I guess. Mm -hmm. It's like, Con- and connecting like yeah. honest connecting but w- with the dream thing I-, I think i don't know that's just it's really hitting me hard because i've i've obviously like woken up from dreams and and had like a good day because my dream was right good in a wild way or like alternatively like oh i feel weird and i don't but i honestly sam like i i didn't do my homework you gave me <laughs> like i no, just okay. <laughs> like i don't um I just kind of like pocket it down and like I, and and this is a, a pattern in me. Like I've had a therapist tell me like, you think your feelings instead of feel your feelings. Like I'm mm, very, yeah, I'm like that too. Like need to. Me too. Yeah. I think we're, maybe it's our, you know, I'm going to blame everything on that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you don't seem like that to me. You seem very connected to your, like what has helped. What do I do? <laughs> what, what has helped you with that? I, I'm definitely not connected all the time at all. Like, especially right now, I feel very like cut off from myself. Like, even, you know, the, this talking has like, you know, um, got me, got the gears moving a bit. Like even yeah. when I first got here, I was like, kind of like, uh, you know, I just think that whatever you do to interact with your inner world, um, you know, it, it shouldn't, it can't feel like a chore or anything. It, it's got to be something that you find. I think that like Leah Gardens just even thinking about like the way that people nurture plants, the way that they tend to them. And it's a time of day. It's a ritual. It's, it's slow. It's peaceful. It's loving. It's like, you know, you're in the sun, you smell the water on the cement or the dirt or whatever, you know, all that stuff. It's it's like a very nice process. And I think that's probably what that is for her, you know? Yeah. And so I don't think everybody needs to do the same thing, but I do think it's definitely important to, to be, um, curious about the dream world, just like it's important to be curious about this one. And it, and it's, I think, frankly, like it's getting harder to be curious about the world when there's so many um, ways of occupying um, you and stimulating you with yeah. um, cities and, and um, things to buy and eat and things to look at on your phone and blah, 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 you know. Um, it's cultivating a sense of mystery, I think, does take work and, you know, uh, it's hard to do, you know, but once you start, I think you like get addicted to the feeling a little bit too. Well, practically, do you write them down? Oh yeah. When I'm at, when I'm in a good mode yeah. of it. Yeah. I think it's really helpful to write them down. I find that uh, when you write them down, you, um, you start remembering things about them that you thought you forgot. And I heard, and I've tried it and it, it worked that if you're really having a hard time, you could start to write it with your non-dominant mm-hmm. hand. It can kind of unlock some of the feeling aspect in the body a little bit. Yeah. It, I, I, I think it's really powerful to write things down. Also, journaling uh, in general is good. Writing down memories is good. Um, you, you just uncover things in there, you know? It's interesting. Have you done like a morning pages type 
practice. I've done that for sure. I love it. Yeah. I feel like anyone that's done it, it's like it's hard to write three pages mm-hmm. in the beginning and then by the end you're like filling up 10 pages or whatever. Yeah, and mm-hmm. I find what's most interesting is like that I start to sort of self-soothe as I like go down the page. Like oh, it yeah. starts off as like everything is terrible, but then I become <laughs> solution-oriented <laughs> yeah. by like two and a half. Totally. Know? Yeah, you got to get it out. <laughs> yeah. 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 I mean, yeah, it's, I, this, this is called the constipation hour. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, I'll ask you these these rapid fire ones in a second, but but this is just silly from Leah. There's a voice text that I honestly lost, and I'm so sorry, but she did have a, and it's her birthday today, the day I, we're recording yeah, this. Yeah, I called her today. Oh, well, she told me a secret of okay. yours. Um, <laughs> and maybe you can tell us briefly about this too. Yeah. Um, I believe you have a secret roommate language where you'll say something like you'll scream down the. Um, oh, <laughs> it's not even funny. I just think it's like a funny joke to um, like be like, hey, Katie, could you hand me that Ronson, please? <laughs> and then you're like, what? And then I'll keep saying it with like a straight face. And then like you realize it's gibberish at a certain point and then you laugh. You know, that's the joke. But anyway. <laughs> I don't know. I think that kind of stuff's really important. Yeah, definitely. It's like, why else are we here? Yeah. For, uh, th- there's enough hard stuff that we need a little bit of like that. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know, I'm definitely, I like to joke a lot. And uh, like Leah is pretty prone to fear <laughs> and anxiety. And so like, I'll usually, if I'm going to do it, I'll like call her with like a lot of urgency, like from upstairs. I'll be like, Leah, do you know where I left my arms and not, you know? And she's like, what, where, you know, like she's like, uh-huh. she's so compassionate and I'm sadistically using it against her and exploiting it anyway. Uh, yeah. So I, I, that's a funny joke. We need, yeah, we need more humor. Okay. Speaking of what's something that's made you laugh really hard recently or like what's something that comes to mind that made you laugh really hard? <laughs> My friends always make me laugh. Explaining the joke is going to not sound funny, you know? Yeah. But I could try, I guess. But I have this friend, Nick, who's like he's very disciplined um he he's been like at the zen monastery like off and on for years and he like when covid happened he actually got stuck there and so he was there for like almost a year and so he's very disciplined he learns trades very quickly and like he's got a very peaceful calm mind that he's able to like you know like do a lot with it and it's really impressive to me and so sometimes he's like he's also like if you're into astrology he's like double capricorn or something so he's just like I don't know. It's very serious. And uh, the other day in the studio, I just, I, I am not funny, but I thought it would be funny. To, I kept telling the engineer, like, sounds great, except for the harmonica blaring. And could you turn down the harmonica? There was no harmonica, right? And like, we were laughing about that. I just kept talking about the harmonicas going wild. And Noel, who lives, who's my bandmate, who lives with Nick, was like talking to Nick about it as he was having like his morning gruel because he's like a monk, you know, he's like this gruel. And he's like, Sam kept like, because I, I don't even think he understood why I was doing this stupid joke. He's like, Sam kept saying that the harmonica was too loud. And Nick was like, was there a harmonica? And he's like, no. And he was just like, that's stupid. That's just stupid. And then he walked away. And I was like, did he laugh at all? And he's like, no, he just didn't like it. And that made me laugh like all day long. <laughs> so your joke <laughs> to your friends made you laugh when your friend super didn't laugh about it. Yeah. <laughs> That's the best. When my friend heard about it and thought it was dumb, 
and spoke with spite about it. <laughs> like really made me happy. Oh man. Well, and, and now here, here it is to make <laughs> others happy. What have you learned about yourself so far this year? If there's a theme. I didn't think I cared that much what people thought about like me. Um, but then like getting some like bad reviews or like getting some criticism, things like that. I was like, oh no, I care. I definitely <laughs> care. I got to work on that, you know? Um, so yeah, I learned that. I learned that there's like a wound in me that like wants to be perfect, you know? And it's like, that's fucked. I got to work on it. So that, that's that been brought to the surface a lot this year. So it turns out you're human, Sam. I'm human and I, and I definitely give a shit. <laughs> yeah, so. What's... If you can put your finger on something, where do you think you get energy and what drains you? Uh, draining, it definitely is like trying to sell your perspective to somebody, mm. you know, when you're like disconnected and you're like, you're like, oh, uh, you, you're trying to explain something to somebody or whatever, or like you feel like, like you want to be justified or like whatever, like holding on to that 100% destroys me. Also the drain of like, you know, uh, the phone and all that, you know. And then what gives me energy is like connecting to people, connecting to nature, connecting to music, um, you know, all that obvious stuff, like jumping in the water, like whatever, you know, like, um, yeah, big time. Yeah, same. God, I'm I'm such a terrible debater and there's nothing worse than like trying to get someone to understand things and yeah. you're, or understand your perspective and you're talking to a brick wall. I just... That I, yeah. I oh yeah, that. it's awful. <laughs> yeah, and just not not ever worth it. Since moving here, I feel like nature means means more to me. Similarly with what you said of like where I grew up, even though it is it is beautiful actually there. Like I I almost maybe was too close to appreciate it, and here. Um, anyway, I mm -hmm. I feel I, I hear you differently, but I was thinking like, oh, I've not really like I don't know if nature really does it for me. But then I had this thought where I was like. Well, people are nature. Like we're all made of the same stuff. Yeah. And people really do it for me. Yeah. So there, maybe that's my nature. One hundred percent. Um, like I think honestly, what made me really start to connect to it was when I fell in love with somebody. I like had all these associations with different styles of music and all that stuff with her, and I started to see this um, landscape that was very connected to her mm. through this falling in love process, and that. Start, I started to see her in the things that I saw. And then eventually it just became like a way that I was interacting with myself. But like, yeah, we're not like solitary, you know? I, I, I think that we even like learn to see the world based on how our parents see it, you know? So sometimes it takes decades to reclaim that and rediscover it like in our own way, on our own, on our own time, you know? I want to go back to when you were a kid and, and um, thinking about like when you first picked up music, like I meant to ask you earlier, what were some of your, what were you listening to when you were younger? And like, what did you, what are some of your early influences? And like, what are your, what do you like now? Do you, can you listen to music while you're making music? Oh yeah, for sure. Um, yeah. My, my grandpa played um, music really loud in the house. I grew up like the first house I grew up in was my uh, grandparents' house. My mom was living there too. And I love listening to music loud. You know, I don't like to have it turned down. Like unless it's like, you know, soft piano music or something. Um, but he played the Eagles, the Beach Boys, 
Jim Croce, Fleetwood Mac, and uh, there was like, oh, Don McLean. And like, Take It Easy by the Eagles is my favorite song when I was a little kid. Mm. I always wanted to hear that song when I was little. Um, and then uh, Operator, Jim Croce. Love that. And then that whoever did the Cats in the Cradle and the Silver Spoon song, I love that. Do you still listen to that stuff now? Oh, yeah, definitely. It's like, it definitely hits a spot for me. Uh, I think like the the deeper relationships that, I, that, that I'll like go back to for music to like really drop down and like get in the writing mode. They're, they're not those bands. But I love those bands, too, you know. What have you been listening to lately? Um, Self-Portrait by Bob Dylan, that record. Um, I rediscovered it. I was like, I was somewhere and um, his version of Copper Kettle came on, like out of nowhere. And I was like, oh my God, this is so good. It just blew me away how good that is. And there's like these female backup vocals that come in at the same time that like someone's like strikes a vibraphone it's a really interesting production choice i really loved it i'm always listening to roy harper um i'm always listening to burt yanch i'm always listening to leonard and those are like my go-to's um nick played me this song the other day called yesterday when i was young i forget who sings it but it's like it's a great song i really liked it um, cool. Yeah. Well, I'll pause for my question. To, this one's from Haley. Oh. She says, what are your thoughts about Henry Diltz? <laughs> <laughs> That's so funny. <laughs> I figured there was a... <laughs> that is so funny. I was just on one the other day and I was like, I was like, well, you know, anyone's going to say you're a, like a legend if you're taking pictures of Joni Mitchell, you know? Like, I could take a picture of Joni Mitchell and it would be iconic because it's she's Mitchell. just fucking iconic, you know? Same with, like, Dylan. It's like every little photo of Dylan is, like, classic because it's Dylan, you know? And so, I was saying, like, God, I'm going to get hate from the photographer followers you have. But, like, are these pictures that good, you know? I'm like, they're not, they're not really doing it for me. Then I looked into it more and I was like, oh, no, he's got some, like, incredible shots, you know, like, you know, whatever. I'm just being a little dickhead. Like I was talking about it. Like I didn't, I didn't even know, you know, I was just going off on some tangent, you know? Well, I kind of think it's about what you, like when we were talking about collaboration and you were like, you got to be a good hang. Like he, mu he had to be a good, to be able to be those people's friend. I've listened to like an interview mm -hmm. with him a long time ago. And I remember yeah. him saying that he was like, well, you know, I just started taking photos of my neighbors mm -hmm. and turns out my neighbors became famous. And it's like, <laughs> yeah. well, some of that's the right place at the right time, mm -hmm. but, or maybe he's just being really humble, but I mean, you don't get, there's a certain bedside. You have to be a good hang to yeah. be able to, to make someone feel comfortable. 100%. To, you know, and I don't know why I'm defending him, but <laughs> no, you should. Cause I'm an idiot. I didn't even know. Like, first of all, um, I'm really not throwing shit. I was just talking out of my ass. Cause I do that sometimes. Um, and it's hilarious that she brought that up. It's but, the perfect It's the but perfect yeah, question. But yeah, you do have to be a good hang. And I bet he is an exceptional 11 out of 10 hang, just by the look of him, you know? <laughs> like 100%. Well, the stories that he's got. I mean, we'd like to, we we would, Sam and I would like to hang out with you if you're listening <laughs> or down. I, I hope you're not listening because <laughs> I sound like even more like an idiot than usual. But yeah, anyway. Um, I highly doubt that. But you know, who knows? Maybe. Yeah. But uh yeah, I bet he's a great vibe. And, but I see what you and mean. And I really did. I looked into the photos and I was like, oh no, I'm I'm wrong. I'm I'm backpedal here, you know. But 
Well, that's what that's what we love about you. you. Can admit when you're when you're wrong, and you can have an opinion on something. And but also, I feel like you. I see what you're saying in the sense of like iconic people are iconic, regardless of like yeah, yeah. The you know part of that's that. Well, you know, there would be no doubt in my mind. Like I'm not. We're not even talking about yeah. Henry anymore. Yeah. <laughs> but if I had a closet full of uh, you know Dylan pics that I'd taken, I'd probably be a famous photographer. Right. You know what I'm saying? Right, right. That being said, if I spent my life taking pictures, I'd probably get pretty good at it too. And I think he probably got pretty damn good at it. And I didn't know, you know, I was just kind of being, uh, an, you know, whatever, an idiot. I, I figured there was like a, a reason why she asked you that. But what was funny is like, I, I listened to this interview with him a long time ago. Yeah. From, you know, like the, I bought this there, like the camera store in New York, B&H. They had like a podcast or something. Yeah, yeah. And I randomly listened to an interview with him from a long time ago. And he, the way he talks about how he bought his first camera, he was like, well, you know, I was on tour and he was in this small college town in Michigan and he went to this thrift store and his friend was like, I think I'll buy this camera. He's like, okay, me too. And then somebody else bought film. But the it was where I'm from. Mm -hmm. That's where he bought the camera. So oh, that right. like stuck in my brain for some reason. Yeah. But anyway, excellent, excellent question, Haley. <laughs> <laughs> Evil question. <laughs> okay, one more from, I don't even know if you know that this is a, one of my favorite people, Chris Stewart. Oh, yeah. Stu asks, he has two good questions. Um, one is about Ida. What Aww. What is having Ida in your life like? brought to you oh that's a great sam's question. dog i have a dog named ida who's great and loves playing the ball oh my god yeah i always wanted to get a puppy i was just so curious about what it would be like so i went to the shelter and i i found a puppy and it it actually i was in a relationship at the time we got in this big fight and i think there's like some psychological term for this but i was like oh let's go get a dog to show i was committed or something i don't know but anyway i i fell in love with her instantly and I was like, my approach was like, I'm going to trust this dog completely. You know, I'm never going to like force her to do things. I'm going to like let her choose it. You know what I mean? And I would like, so I wouldn't like call her more than once. I would just like leave her. I'd walk away mm -hmm. from her and I'd make, I'd have her follow me. So now like Ida follows me everywhere, you know, and she's like really attuned to me. She's really sensitive. I just, I love her. She's so smart. She has like human eyes. And then I saw this guy, like when I was on tour, he was this old guy with like a gray beard down to the floor. And he had like, he was riding on a motorcycle and he had like four cattle dogs on his motorcycle, like sitting there. And he had like a sidecar on the motorcycle that like three of them would sit in and then one would like sit on the back. Whoa. And he was just like a character, you know? But I, I'm I, like afraid a little bit for the safety of the yeah, I, I one mean, dog. <laughs> I don't, yeah, he's not to be looked to for that. But anyway, he, um, he was talking to this woman on the street and he's like, a dog is a herd animal. And he's like, you don't call a dog. You just go where you're going and the, the dog's going to follow you. And I was like, oh, I, that's what I did, you know? So I felt validated by that guy. Wow. Yeah. Wow. That's really. Huh. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Another question from, from um, Chris. He says, what is his credo? What's that mean? Like a motto. Let's, let's look it up and get, oh, get a. Oh, oh, what is my credo? Yeah. I thought, I thought like he was testing me. Like what, what is his? Oh you know? no, that'd be, that'd be cool. Though, too. Um, 
Yeah. Chris is the best. We'll, we'll find out his credo when he does the show. <laughs> I like that guy a lot. He's the best. Um, stay curious. What are some of your creative practices or habits or routines? Like you kind of mentioned a couple that you are a little bit out of. And, and one thing I was going to ask is, like, what do you do when you're in a rut to mm-hmm. get out of it? But you were kind of saying that you've been feeling a bit off. So yeah. maybe it's, maybe it's now, maybe we, maybe we hash yeah. it out and you leave here and it's just all. That's a good idea. <laughs> if I'm in a rut, uh, my, the recipe for me is like exercise, eat right. Don't do drugs and drink too much. Occasionally do it, do it with intention, you know, mm-hmm. write the dreams down journal uh i like to paint so i think painting's good walks are good uh don't isolate but don't spend all your time with people clean shit up i mean because if something's nagging at you you know take care of business whatever you got to take care of that's really good i'm gonna just record i'm gonna give you a clip of that yeah. and then you can listen to it yeah. whenever <laughs> yeah you're like okay that's what i do yeah um well it, i mean that was really great it's funny like a, a credo is like a, a a guide. Like I feel like that question is like kind of also like that's your, and it's I mean it's it's just generally excellent <laughs> advice universally. Right. Like there aren't very many u- universal things. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like I think everything's so individual, but I feel like everything you said there is just like spot on. Like walking, yeah. generally very good for all of us. Yeah, <laughs> like yeah. getting a Goldilocks between isolating and being around people. Mm-hmm. Like. And, and not being too rigid about any of this stuff, but I don't know, Sam, I think you're doing great and <laughs> and you have so much wisdom that like, honestly, you've blown me away in this of like, <laughs> <you're>, <laughs> this is genuine, but truly like you're, you're really smart and wise in a way that like, I like vaguely knew and, but it was just really clear <laughs> today. Uh, I appreciate that. Thank you. Yeah. Okay, so the the this is the portion of this where I ask you to let out anything. Is there anything that you wish that I would have asked you that you never get to talk about? Uh, no, I don't think so. What do you think makes a good conversation? There needs to be somebody who's a container, like who can contain like what you're doing for me right now, you know? And this is kind of more of an interview because I'm doing most mm-hmm. of the talking, you know, like it's not like a conversing necessarily, but. I think authentically listening, you know, um, whatever that means. And then you just have to be curious about what you're being told, you know, and I'm not against interrupting at all. Uh, Interrupting is fine for me. You know, like if someone's like supercharged and they're like, oh yeah, I got something to say, you know, um, if it's like this constant thing where no one's listening, it's bad. But I think someone needs to be kind of a container to hold it, to like keep it grounded in itself. I also think structure really helps conversations flourish like like a tarot reading like a podcast like a a bar meetup like a dinner thing where like there's some kind of direction to it it just allows people to flow because it's like this principle of like when there's just a little bit of control added people are way more willing to share because it's almost like they're being asked to or something rather than they're just like volunteer volunteering it you know what i mean or it's it to me kind of what you're describing is a constraint like a creative constraint can be good yes totally think of the haiku Uh (laughs) uh-huh exactly and 
yeah, I think keeping the thread going, you know, because there's so many tabs open when I have conversations and there's so many threads and trying to remember can be hard because like, that's what I'm doing in this context, but it, it takes me out of the moment from mm-hmm. just being present and going in other directions. Right. I'm like, we have to, but, but it hopefully makes you feel more free and makes it feel for you that you can, because you know that like, I've got it. You right. Know? Totally. Okay. Is there any, did I squeeze you for all your juice? Is there anything else <laughs> that you want to, yeah, I um, mean, there's nothing that like, I feel like I need to talk about or anything like that. It's only if you had like questions really. Well, I, I just want to know about your, so you were recording with, with Haley, but you were recording a music video. Do you have a new, are you making new music? Do you have a new yeah, album um, in the works? Yeah, I do. So I have a, um, I have a new record um, coming out in July. And uh, yeah, this is where I'll do my promotion stick, I guess. Um, I'm playing at July 14th and 15th at Gold Diggers. Cool. And yeah, I'm releasing that record and I, I'm proud of it. I made it with uh, Jonathan Wilson. And I have nothing but good things to say about him. He's just like, he's just the best guy. And he's so talented. It's incredible. And, and yeah, I wrote those songs, um, in that place of like nature that I was telling you about in Northern California. And I'm looking forward to, to moving on to the next chapter, I guess, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I'm so excited to listen to it and, and we'll be there. We'll be there. (laughs) Great. Do you want to recommend anything? That's the other thing I usually say, like, if there's a book or movie or their quote yeah, or totally uh, i'll just stick to like topic i guess like if if any of you are interested in tarot my first book that i really fell in love with was, is called the way of the tarot it's by hodorowsky the the movie director and if you want somewhere to start with the Jungian stuff um i really think that Marion, anything by Marion Woodman is a good place to start. And uh, yeah, uh, that's pretty much it. Okay, cool. I think we did it. How do you feel? I feel good. This is great. Good. Well, okay, so we end um, letting out a deep breath together. You ready? Mm -hmm. Inhale. Let it out. (sighs) Thank you, Sam. Oh, yeah, thank you. This is really lovely. I I really enjoyed it. Talking with stars in my eyes as I'm walking along in the afternoon light. The way it is Thank you for spending a couple hours with Sam and I. I am so grateful that you listened all the way to the end. And I'm so glad that Sam did the podcast and follow everything he does. Listen to his music if you haven't already. And get ready for his new album that will be out in July. And go see his shows in July, as he mentioned. I'll probably be there. <laughs> and and one, one other thing. We briefly mentioned this car accident that, that he was in. And... I'm going to link to a GoFundMe that I put in a newsletter recently and talked about it a little bit more. But if you can take a peek at that and help, that would be lovely. I'll, I'll link it 
in the show notes. And again, thank you so much for listening. Thank you to Sam for doing the show. If you want to know a little bit more about me, I write a newsletter and, oh, actually I mentioned in this because I I wrote one and mentioned Sam. So I'll actually link to that one if you want to read it from the archive, the one where I talk about the two tarot readings, one of them with Sam. And all of that will, will be in the show notes. If you need anything, let me know. If you want to go into the archive, if you somehow want more of the show after these many minutes that you've spent with with Sam and I, maybe Kale Tyson, he is one of the people who submitted a question for Sam and he also is a neighbor and recommended Sam to do the show. I always have the last person recommend the next person. So we'll see who Sam recommends that I interview next. And thank you again so much for listening. This show is produced by me and edited by the one and only, the best, one of the best people in the world, Brianna Bain, somebody else who I'm so happy ended up also in this neighborhood with me. The theme song is made and performed by Carolyn Pennypacker Riggs. Bye-bye. Operator, oh, could you help me place this call? See the number on the matchbook is old. Hi, thanks for having me. Pretty much daily, but it Thank wasn't you. as like when other people run into each other daily because it was really odd times <laughs> every day. Yeah, absolutely. It's always odd times. I feel like I always go to lunch when nobody's in the restaurant, uh-huh. you know. But I kind of I like it that way, and I felt like we were the same in that way where we would be like little ghosts in like like the back collage uh, sitting area where no one was there, you yeah. know. Which is the best. Yeah. More questions from others because now I feel I feel like I'm um, there's a lot of pressure and, and weight on me for, <laughs> from everyone in the neighborhood because you're so well loved. And I want to make I feel like I got to do it this justice <laughs> for, for everyone. Oh, did Captain ask a question? That's what I that's what I was going to. It's the same way with Nada. Like when you asked me, I was like, I'm going to think of one. And then I couldn't think of a good question. Yeah, both of you. When I go into my retirement, he is going to be my last guest. So start thinking your question now. Totally. Yeah, I want to do him. I want to do him proud. I thought the questions would just be like, from Jake. <laughs> when we were on our stretch of running into each other at Collage and you were sitting at a different table and I went from my table over to your table. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> wow. And it was so cool. Yeah. But what I wrote about in that in that newsletter was it was at the very beginning of this year and oddly enough, like obviously I wasn't planning to, to do that with you that day, but right. oddly enough at the end of the year, I was at this party in Topanga and I was super, super late because I was working here. And then as you know, it's far and anyway. And so when I got there, my friend whose party was, he was like, oh, his partner. He's like, Lacey's inside sleeping. Like you're so late. (laughs) And he's like, all all your friends, like everyone you were hoping to see here, like they all left. (laughs) And I was like, okay, cool. And he was like, but you should get the last tarot reading. They had a tarot reading there. And yeah. And unfortunately, it was not you. It was this very <laughs> nice um, older gentleman named White Feather. <laughs> oh, wow. And he gave me this tarot reading. And the only thing I remember about it is that it was so bizarre, Sam. I And yours, that was really early last year. That was like January of right. 2022. And this was December. Pretty much like uncannily the same. Really? Yeah. Oh, whoa. Crazy. It was really bizarre. And so then what I wrote about was like, 
oh man, I think I'm a little stagnant and I got to <laughs> make some <laughs> changes in my life. So yeah. my next impromptu tarot reading is, is different. But yeah. yeah, that was what was, that's what it was about. <laughs> yeah. How long have we talked to you? Um, three hours? Two hours? Sam! Is this so No, no, long? no. It, it is kind of long, but not honestly not... <laughs>